I'm Charles Copland, and you're listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustain Music and Nature. My guest, Scotty Stoughton, is the founder of Bonfire Entertainment, who learned as a young man, failures are a great way to find your passion. Luckily, at an early age, I realized the importance of just finding your passion and being okay with with failing along the way, as long as you never give up that dream and also realizing that you might change your dream and you don't know what you are going to do forever, but whatever you're doing, do it with your full heart and your, your full head and your full, um, you know, toolkit of, of passion because any way you end up, um, it'll feel right if you follow that. So I've kind of, kind of had that, that mantra and, um, I moved to Colorado and got into music, started playing music, which I didn't really have any background in, just was just drawn to it. More the energy and the, the connections that were made and that intangible sense of magic that you would feel, um, whether it was at a drum circle or a concert. And, and so that, um, along my journey, um, combined with uh, an exposure to the river culture and playing shows with one of my bands a long time ago alongside the Colorado River in a venue. And I was really enamored and blown away by um, the power of the music inserted with Mother Nature. Growing up on the East Coast, most of the concerts I went to were bars, clubs, stadiums. So coming out to Colorado, I was like, wow, this is the most important influence and character involved with all of this. And so I saw the music unfold in front of you know, bikers and fishermen and hippies and yuppies and ranchers and river rats we come together on the side of the river and join into the celebration. And um, inhibitions were gone, connections were were forged, and uh, the feeling you'd have when you when you left these weekends was something um, I've been chasing ever since, which has led me to follow uh, my passion in music, river culture, community, etc. And um, always looking for the opportunity and the challenge uh, middle of the pandemic, um, which we can go into how it's affected the music business. You know, I had a little bit of space to back up and try to connect all the things that I've kind of been watering for so many years. So that's the, the short collection of ideas that brought me to this place. So uh, you're a Jersey guy originally. When did you leave Jersey? How old were you? I went to school. I went to school in Rhode Island and uh, graduated college in, um, I was 22, 23, had spent some time uh, traveling around the world surfing. That was my early passion in life. And then moved to Colorado. Um, I always remember the year because I did summer tour 94 with the Grateful Dead on the West Coast. (laughs) Yeah. And I was going to get to the Grateful Dead, but let's just jump to it because my research tells me you're selling grilled cheese sandwiches on the road. Uh, following the dead. So you got to tell us about that. Yeah, I think, you know, the Grateful Dead, I realized all these years later, not only influenced my um, musical tastes, but also opened up the door to this bohemian traveling roadside circus where you could create your own adventure and you could either save enough to get into a hotel or you could save enough and make enough to get tickets or you could just make enough to get gas to the next show. It was a wild circus of, of absolute like entrepreneurism uh, 101. And so 
I created some t-shirts that didn't sell very well and we were struggling. And then, um, the, the grilled cheese is, you know, the big hit out there, but I, I took a new twist on it and, and steamed up some broccoli and carved some or shaved up some garlic and got some better bread and was doing these wholesome broccoli, garlic, grilled cheeses. And I think my record at the Oregon, uh, I forget the name of the stadium. We were in Eugene. I think I went through 22 loaves of bread, um, in a couple hours before a show out there. And, and, um, it was awesome. So that was our shtick, the broccoli, garlic, grilled cheeses. And, uh, I really love the freedom to be able to, you know, gain that, which you put in. Do you have any intelligence or insight that your concoction reached the lips of Jerry, Bob, Phil, Bill, Mickey? Do you have, do you have any sense whether the grilled cheese actually got to the band? <laughs> well, um, I don't think so, but years later, let's, let's believe that it did. Let's believe that it did. Yeah. I, you know, I had the, I had the discussion with, uh, with Bill Kreutzmann years later. He, uh, the same day that I learned stand up paddleboarding before it, it came to rivers and I was a surfer and we were in Kauai doing a tour with my band and, uh, Bill Kreutzmann was at the gig. He ended up sitting in with us for three shows and then came to my birthday party on our front porch for a jam at sunset in Hanalei Bay, talking about stories about the Grateful Dead and, and ex explaining my experience. And, uh, it was pretty magical to catch up with him and, and, and kind of complete the journey from the Grateful Dead grilled cheese days to playing reggae music with Bill Kreutzmann on the front porch. Yeah, I'll say that's a, any deadhead's dream. Um, I, I, <laughs> I want this to be a conversation about you, but before we leave the dead, I'm curious how you think the dead, whatever iteration, whether it's Phil's band, whether it's, uh, John Mayer with Bob Weir, like, how do you think the spirit that you defined when you were younger of the dead exists today? And does it still exist today? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's alive and well. I am absolutely blown away by the foresight of Bob Weir and his understanding and his risk taking to bring in a guy like John Mayer and all of the criticism I'm sure he knew he was going to get. And to fast forward to this time now and see all of those naysayers pretty much on board with John and the ability to reach a whole new demographic, that's the point. I think Bobby really saw that. And he's like, we can just jam and play with the old members and have some guests and do a thing, or we can really make a difference and really stimulate and inspire another generation. And that might involved taking a serious risk. And I think he did it. I think the band's incredible. I think it's so, it, it's amazing to hear them play together. It's amazing to see all of the side projects and all of the egoless connections that are made in that community, which to me is the biggest difference between any other kind of music. And, and bluegrass is like that. And, and I'm really in the bluegrass world, but the jam world, I want to play with you. You share the stage with me. How about that guy? Let's support him. Let's support her. Let's do this. You don't see that much in life. And that's that's the essence of how we actually evolve and support one another. You can have competition, but it can also be, it could be fierce and friendly. And I, I'm just impressed with Bob and the band. And um, I can't wait to see him again. Yeah. And I mean, just to put another point on Dead and Company, and then I'd like to get back to you. I saw them. 
Um, John Mayer was the best part of the show. I mean, he's he's a misunderstood guy because he's a pop star in his spare time. But when he comes out and he plays the guitar and he really dedicates, he appreciates the mythology of a band like the Dead. And uh, it was, I thought, a great synthesis of of Weir and and John Mayer and everybody else that was involved in the project. So, for what it's worth, I agree with you. Yeah, I. I- I, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. The guy, he, he does the work, which I appreciate. And he goes deep into the spirit. And um, he delivers it with precision. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good. Play. Right on. I love talking about the that. Stuff. Play. All right. So uh, like yourself, I left home. I grew up in Miami. I moved to New York. Uh, and I've tried a lot of things. So let's talk about that word you used earlier, failure. Um, what do you yeah. consider failure and what do you consider learning from failure? I think true failure is the inability to realize what you just went through and find, um, not necessarily, not necessarily the silver lining, but how it's a building block in your evolution, right? If you fail and move on and, and don't, get past the ego telling you that you're a failure, that's truly a failure. But if you can do something and, and, and not be great at it or, or, you know, fall in the rapid or, or don't get accepted at that job, and then you reflect, then there's no such thing as a failure. You know, I, I believe you really are going to evolve each time that you have, um, you know, a challenge in the road. Um, so, you know, that I don't that's how I would define true failures is the inability to realize that there's a ton to learn from each one of those stumbles. So in a way, failures and the other question was, uh, well, learning from failure. And I think you answered that. So so just to sort of yeah. put this in a different shade, in a way, I think what you're saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that what is perceived as failure at one point is more of a short term lens and then actually I guess to your point that as you evolve and time goes on, you realize that things you initially identified as failures were actually wonderful learning opportunities if you allow them to be. Absolutely, and and you probably know this as as well as anyone. It's a lot easier to see that as you you grow older and you and you evolve into, you know somewhat of a wiser person you know when you're young and you're in it it's difficult to see that and when i when i talk to uh younger family members or, or the community or, or kids or especially during COVID, and everybody had so many concerns and stresses and i said really breathe in all of this because it, it's going to change you're probably going to forget a lot of it but take with you how you felt and what you did to move forward and move through it and that's a great success and that's a beautiful thing that that you control and you own no matter where you are. If you're down in a relationship or, or a job, um, you know, the harder you go down is, is the higher you can climb and not losing sight of that's really important, but it's easier as you, as you evolve a little bit to understand that. Yeah. I mean, you were, you were kind to say that I would understand it, but that to me is it comes with age. It's just an age thing. You, you get wiser as you get older, if you are smart enough not to let your ego get in the mm-hmm. way. So, you, um, you, I started talking about this because you do something that I would like to consider I've done myself in my career. And yet it's a word, which I'll speak of in a second, that's on nobody's business card. 
and isn't really kind of recognized maybe right away as a skill, but the word is connector. And I think that really, really good connectors are hard to find. And you're a really good connector. It's probably what you do more than anything else. Um, can you talk about connection and being a connector and what are the sort of requisite skills, talents, and learnings that come along with being a connector? It's one of those things I didn't uh, apply to be and and seek, you know, to achieve. I think it just evolved. Um, and I would suggest that um, if that's what you're trying to do, for me, it's really important to never try to win or or outdo somebody by having an in with somebody else. Uh, take the music business, you know. I know that guy or I know that band member and uh, everybody's afraid of introducing people because they don't want to, you know, soil their potential rung in the ladder of, of being closer to the drummer in the band or I know the agent. It's like, I don't care about any of that stuff. You know, it's most important to put people together to let them evolve. If there's residual value or something positive that happens for me, great. But that's not the intention. And I think it all boils down to intention. If your intention is to truly create a greater space, a better river trip, a better song with your band, a better um, you know job opportunity, there's so many things you can do to do it in a positive, nurturing, and productive way. And it really, to me, boils down to not being afraid of giving up a connection or or giving up a closer relationship to somebody knowing that somebody else might have a better relationship with them. Like, that's okay. And I try really hard when I come into a room or, or lead a trip or, or from playing a show to really hear and see people and try to find um, either just through my perception or, or things I've gleaned from their, their character, how can I support that person? How can I, what can I say to make them truly feel great about themselves? And it's truth, and it's nice to shine a light on other people, and then it's nice to shine a light on other people when they're together, and 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 serve it up nicely. Like this is a great friend of mine that's done this. I think you you'll find a wonderful opportunity, just getting to know each other. Maybe it leads to something, maybe it doesn't. But I think you're both wonderful people, and if you set it up like that, it's got great a great chance for success, and that's just better to raise everybody's vibrations. I think that's. That's what I enjoy doing and seeing. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know what's interesting? I find, I don't know if you feel the same way, that, yeah, it helps to have common interests. But at the end of the day, it's more about an attitude of trying to do exactly what you just said than necessarily having something in common. It's that openness to connect. So talk to me then about Bonfire Entertainment and how some of this stuff manifests itself. Talk about what it is and and what your role in, is in it and then how you do it. Yeah, um, I think Bonfire Entertainment has finally come into its own. Um, as a, a younger guy, you know, going from touring with the dead to trying to make it as a band to producing a show or putting on a, a gig, um, 
and getting involved with the rivers. I had a lot of interests and in things that I loved doing. And as I stepped away from the touring life and realizing that that's not my true gift and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be at the highest level in that um, arena. I thought that producing events was really my calling. And so I started out with a company called 30th Street, which was um, the name of the street I uh, grew up on on Long Beach Island, New Jersey. And 30th Street Productions morphed into Bonfire Entertainment. At the beginning, Bonfire Entertainment was, it was a hub for my band, Bonfire Dub, a little bit. It was a hub to put on a couple of shows. And then I created a festival called Camp Out for the Cause. So now Bonfire Entertainment put on Camp Out for the Cause. And then as I evolved Bonfire Entertainment, um, I created a festival called Winter Wondergrass. And at that time, I made the decision to have that and anything else I created stand on its own. So instead of having, you know, Bonfire Entertainment Presents or, or whatever, I wanted to be more mysterious about it and let each brand and entity evolve on its own. So um, I had Winter Wondergrass Colorado, and then I launched Winter Wondergrass California and Winter Wondergrass Vermont, and then River Wondergrass and all these different things. In the meantime, keeping Bonfire Entertainment alive as a kind of umbrella uh, organization. And then oddly enough, this year, um, as we created the River Wondergrass and truly combined my other two businesses um, and passions, stand-up paddleboarding and river adventures and created River Wondergrass, it all made sense to kind of bring together everything under the, the Bonfire Entertainment uh, umbrella. So now, um, I don't know for a production company or an event company or a lifestyle company, I just think we're a community. And I want people to know if, if, if Bonfire Entertainment's involved, you're getting my full attention, you know, my full care and passion about the event. And, um, you know, we're going to we're going to keep something, you know, we're going to create something magical for you. So that's kind of been the evolution of of Bonfire Entertainment. And, um, you know, here we are now. But even I'm about to launch a couple of brand new things. And um Somebody was asking me, like, is this Bonfire Presents or do you want to be on the poster? I'm like, there's no need for logos on the. It's the place, it's the band, it's the date, you know? Like, we need to simplify things and not be so concerned about who we are and what we're called, but what we do. Stay with us for more of my conversation with Scotty Stoughton and this message from Sustain. And I'm Harrison. We're the co-founders of Sustain Music and Nature. Sustain is a nonprofit that makes music a force for nature. By tapping into the emotional power of music and cultural sway of artists, we engage new audiences with their environment. Check out Sustain Music and Nature on social media to see our public land music videos and learn about upcoming concerts in the great outdoors. My guest, Scotty Stoughton, is the founder of Bonfire Entertainment, and I asked him about his favorite event. Probably the flagship event that really um, propelled me a little bit and um, has become our biggest event is Winter Wondergrass. Um, and out of all of them, uh, our home is Colorado. So Winter Wondergrass, Steamboat Springs, Colorado is definitely an event like no other. Um, First off, we care so much about community 
and where we produce. So when we go in and pick a location, we're not coming to the community and saying, we've got something for you. We're saying, we have an idea. Would you like to work on this together? You want, is this fit for you guys? Is this a great thing for you guys? Because we'd love to do it. And if we can, let's talk. And so when I came to Steamboat and pitched the idea, that was, that was the response from the resort and from the town. So immediately, this is an event that we build with the community. I've since moved to Steamboat because I love it so much. But um, I think that's what sets us apart. We, we go after finding nonprofits to support that are doing great work in the community, um, to, you know, supporting um, local underprivileged kids or if it's an international philanthropic organization. We love to tie in with groups doing great things. So our intention to do this festival, and this I think sets me apart from any other promoter, like I don't care if I make money and that's not, the objective. Certainly, I want to pay the rent, and, and we've gotten you know lucky that we, we've been successful. But that's further down the list of things to accomplish. Number one is creating a safe space for the artists to feel comfortable, and the fans to feel comfortable, and the local businesses to get involved, and the local nonprofits to feel supported, and all of the things that we love, you know, culminating to create the experience. And I have always believed, and it's in our mission, and, and I speak about it a lot, that there is no stage technically for us. The stage doesn't end at the performer's feet. The entire venue is important for the success of our events. So we put a huge amount of responsibility on our volunteers, our, our staff, uh, our attendees, our bartenders, um, and the artists to create something that's special together and and everyone has that intention so when you walk into winter wondergrass you, you're like whoa like this is something different everyone's a stakeholder i'll never ever forget no matter what level of success i might achieve that the most important thing is the person that's worked their tail off and they've struggled to buy a ticket and struggled to get a hotel room and they 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 get it they travel they journey they get there they see their friends they load into the the condo they get to the festival, they nudge their way to the front row, they see their favorite band, they catch their favorite song, their expression, that energy, that intangible like essence of a music festival, that's the most important thing. Nothing else is important as that. Now we've got VIP and we've got sponsors and that's important, but we never lose sight of that. And so, you know, I, I, I think when you come to our festival, you'll feel supported, you'll feel like you can do anything because I started with nothing and here we are. You'll feel connected. Um, you know, I go up and speak on stage or introduce a band. I'll also be at the gate with all of my staff, high-fiving all 5,000 people on the way out. Um, I'll be hanging out with the local cops. I'll be sitting in with the CEO of the resort and I'll be picking up trash in the morning. You know, we're all in this together. And that's the sense and spirit of Winter Wondergrass and camp out for the cause and and now river wondergrass it's the same it's the same spirit um we're all a community and the strength of our community is is only you know found in the strength of each and every individual so the underlying um aspect to all of this is is not just music but the environment you're somebody who at an early age the environment spoke to you nature spoke to you you changed your life because of it. We've talked about being in Steamboat, being in Kauai. Do you have a favorite public land moment that kind of just stands out? I don't want to give it too much definition. I want to let it breathe so you can think and answer the question, but just something that you can share. Yeah. 
I, there's a couple, but since we were talking about the Grateful Dead and, you know, I came from the East, as we discussed, uh, my first camping wasn't, you know, till like Costa Rica surfing and that was my culture. I came out West, uh, went on the road with the dead, toured around, had a really crummy tent, my first little stove and I was 22. Um, we had a night off and we drove to Yosemite. And the three of us um, parked our van and got a camp spot and um, had a, I remember having a cold, a cooler full of icy cold beers. And uh, we went on a journey. We said, let's go explore the park. So we biked and then we hiked. And then we ended up on um, one of the, the domes. I, I forget the name or some pretty, pretty magical area that we kind of stumbled across. And we got up there and we didn't realize that it was a full moon. And there was some other astrological event occurring, but we, we climb up to this dome and we sit there and the sun's going down and then a couple of photographers come out with some huge lenses and they're very excited. So we're, we knew that there was something special happening and we watched mother nature at her best, like really unfold and evolve in front of our eyes and sat there for, for two hours from absolute sunshine through the sunset to the moonrise with every color imaginable, every sense was completely heightened every emotion was just um, overflowing with with life and love and i remember you know leaving that moment and, and then biking back to camp and just feeling like completely tuned up by a somewhat intangible experience that resonated deeper and more real than anything i'd ever experienced at that moment very cool very cool so we talked a lot about you being a connector being behind the scenes, making things come together. And yet, paradoxically, you're the front man for Bonfire Dub. So you go from being sort of the guy behind the scenes, a sort of 21st century environmentally focused Bill Graham, to use kind of a, a really specific label. <laughs> nice. <laughs> to being the front man of potentially one of one of his acts or your acts. So how are the two personas different between the guy behind the scenes and the guy who's right up front on stage, writing songs, singing songs and leading a band? Well, that's, that's been an evolution. Um, when I was uh, really trying to be an artist in the late nineties and fronting the band, I was, more akin to like an Anthony Kiedis style of just pure energy, complete emotion, connection with the, the audience. And um, certainly my ego was a lot more present then. And I was desiring to attain not only um, writing a better song, but probably more to try to get a record deal. And, and, and I, so my energy and intention wasn't focused on the pure elements of, of music. And, and that led me to realize that that at that time wasn't my main calling. Years later, um, I learned how to play a guitar um, 10 years ago so I could so I could write songs and at that moment and, and sing my own songs. So at that moment, I realized that I was doing it for the first time just for me. And I, I grabbed an old guitar and a Bob Marley Easy songbook and went down to a treehouse in the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua and taught myself how to play the guitar. And then I wrote some songs for me. Um, that really fulfilled that that need and so now 
as the, the, the last band and my current band, Bonfire Dub, has evolved, every minute that we get to play, because we, we probably do, I don't know, 15 shows a year. Everyone's out touring and, and real successful. But anytime we get together and play, it's it's about it's about us and it's about honoring the music like fully and and that has been an incredible evolution because it doesn't matter if there's one or one thousand you know we still you know put out the same intention um i really enjoy fronting the band because i don't need anything back and and i think i'm good at laying it up for the crowd and for the people in the band to get the most out of the experience. And I'm just someone else that's absorbing the experience. There's no ego, there's no desire to be seen or heard or looked at or the spotlight. It, it's more um, a great opportunity to take a position that's usually, I think, fairly full of ego and, and low on humility and, and try to approach it with full humility and um, a, a complete honoring of all of the components uh, of the show. and. I really enjoy that. It's really fun. I like speaking with people and talking to the crowd and, and laughing and, and learning and screwing up notes and not really caring about it. It's just, um, it's been a, it's been a constant teacher for me because I'm definitely the worst guy in the band. <laughs> these guys, these guys that play with are so good. And, um, luckily I can, I can, I can rhyme some words and I've got some good themes and they, they love what I have to say, but they're so, they're so lovely. And, uh, my advice to people always, it's not really tied to the question, but it kind of goes back to connecting. You don't need to be a great guitar player. You don't need to be a great singer because I'm neither of those. You can take a couple of chords and have a message and a story and an idea that you're passionate about. And that's the most beautiful important and important thing about songwriting and performing. Anybody can do it with that passion and with that, with that story or that goal or intention in, in your mind. So I'm thrilled that... I stuck with it and uh, I'm still able to perform and play. It's just, I'm so lucky. And I, and I don't take one minute or one note for granted. How do you think you've been able and will continue to be able to successfully link all these passions? I think cause I, I'm doing it for the right reasons. Um, I'm realizing I'm meant to be doing this. Um, recently married with like the perfect human being that I waited, you know, almost 50 years to find. And 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 realizing that now that I'm giving so much to her and, and her daughter, which, which has become our daughter, and you'd think that you'd lose an edge or you'd get disconnected. And it's only fueled me and realized that I'm absolutely on the right path. I'm completely doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not stressed out about future opportunities or trying to win or get ahead. I'm just trying to create things that are meaningful. And the more I'm focusing on that, the more it's working. And so the momentum is really, really building. And I think I haven't even hit my stride at all. Um, I've just managed to hone in on the ingredients that are most important to me that just so happened to be very important to a huge community of people. So, you know, I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like I'm in first gear and um, I've got a lot to learn and I've got a lot to do and I owe it. 
I really feel like I owe it to the planet and, and Mother Nature and, and my community to give all of my um, my skills, you know, back. And, 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 you know, I really feel like I'm at the beginning. And a lot of the, not the hard work's over, but the foundation is laid and the community is being built. And my support crew, my family and my, my staff are all so bought in and, and supportive. And um, really the sky's the limit. I think the community at large is ready for people that are that are honest, that give their their best, and that want to create the best experience for the consumer. You know, which I hate using that word, the fan. You know, the person that's buying your product, coming to your festival. Like you can't forget about them. And I think people like us are really going to continue to be successful because we care. You know, this there's a huge level of consciousness that comes in and awareness that surrounds everything that I touch and um, it keeps me really, really inspired. So I'll never lose my inspiration or, or my intention. And I've had a rough road this year, you know, I've been in some dark places, but even in the midst of it, um, when my ego was telling me to get out or run or poor me, I'm able to disidentify with that, you know, non-reality and, and realize that you can make anything. And, and you can also feel down about it and, and crummy. It's okay too, but don't let that own you. And so I feel the, I feel the big things are coming. You think a lot of that darkness and now the positivity is a sense of optimism regarding COVID? Um, yeah, certainly that was a huge, um, you know, light bulb that went off two weeks before my, my second festival and, finally really became successful after risking everything and putting up my house for the festivals and losing a ton of money and but but just staying true to course and and just just when we were over the hump and doing really well and you know we canceled a festival and you know when you do that two weeks out you know you lose a lot of money and it's a big time to just go okay what do we do now so instead of sitting around and, and sulking i mean i i sulked a little bit but I just went through it. I, I got the shingles right afterwards. So I had like a month of like some of the most severe and wicked kind of pain. Um, you know, I was learning how to be a new dad with a, an interesting other dad that I had to remove my ego from to do the best thing for my daughter. And that's evolved and blossomed into the most beautiful thing I could have imagined. And, you know, my wife, she was battling Lyme disease and then got COVID long haul. And so the talks about what happens if, if something, you know, really bad happens to her, like, what do we do? Like, it's a really, really deep, important conversations and situations were addressed and, and, um, you know, understood. And uh, to come through all of that has been one of the greatest layers of evolution I, I could have ever imagined. And to tie it into nature and, and, and all, you know, I was in the needles um, in Canyonlands last month and uh, my wife being so great, she's like, just go, oh, you're, you've got this camp spot and, you know, stay as long as you want. It's just incredible. And I went out there and I was one of the only people in the park. It was a s snowing week and nobody was there. And I got to hike the whole park almost alone while the snow and was coming onto the canyon walls and then melting and then creating waterfalls everywhere. And this feeling of being completely in the right place at the right time and being able to handle all of the adversity and the problems and the financial stuff. 
it just didn't matter. It was nature puts it all into perspective, you know, if you allow her to just to, to breathe in and then, and then you can breathe in. And so, you know, it's been a, it's been yeah. a, a journey that I'm, I'm proud to have undergone and, uh, and it's, it's still just the beginning, but we're, we're capable of so much because all of those things I was very fearful of before I, I had to face them. So this team, this uh, feels like the right time to close with the question that I ask at the end of all my podcasts of my guests, because we're talking music and we're talking the environment. If there is a song that you sort of go to when you want to have a positive connection to nature, what would that be? Could be one of yours, could be... tough one i know it's a tough one i think um i I might have to give a two-part answer i mean i I write a lot of songs about traveling and and whatnot so it's fun for me to regurgitate an experience i had in nature or around the world in some really remote place like i've been recently playing a song called kashmir that i wrote because kashmir india is one of the most beautiful natural places i've ever seen yet is just completely steeped in 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 oppression and and hardship so it keeps me very grounded to be able to see the beauty in the area but understand the reality with the the human um scope but um i also love going to hard sun by eddie vetter into the wild because that story just really sums up the human spirit in so many ways and i learned it recently i'm still working on it but uh I I love listening to that song. Scotty Stoughton, a talented musician and songwriter, festival organizer. But at the heart of it, he is a connector who sits at the intersection of music and nature. For more on Scotty, go to bonfireentertainment.com. I'm Charles Coplin. And this has been Songscapes, a production of Sustain Music and Nature. For more, check out our socials at Sustain Music and Nature. Real sugar and spice.